understanding that it's right here to accuse him. The Lord said to Satan, uh, The Lord rebuke you, Satan. Indeed, the Lord of the clothes in Jerusalem rebuke you. Is this not a brand plucked in the fire? Now Joshua was clothed with filthy garments and standing before the angel. He spoke and said to those who were standing before him, saying, Remove the filthy garments from him. Again he said to them, See, I have taken your iniquity away from you, and will clothe you with festal robes. Then I said, Let them put a clean turban on his head. So they put a clean turban on his head and clothed him with garments while the angel of the Lord was standing by. Well, those first three visions were ultimately visions of blessings and deliverance, but we haven't dealt yet with some of the fundamental issues in being able to provide that, like the sin problem. And so that's what you've got here. Joshua the high priest. Remember, Zerubbabel and Joshua were kind of the leaders of the group that returned. Joshua the high priest is standing before the Lord's angel, Satan standing there to accuse them. Now, the high priest represented God's people. He represented the nation. On the Day of Atonement, he more or less bore the nation's guilt as he came before God as the, uh, and to the most holy place. So he, I think he represents God's people here. And, and you've got him there with Satan to accuse him and the Lord rebuking Satan saying that God had chosen Jerusalem. We'll come back to what the Lord uh, says here in a minute. But notice in verse 3 that Joshua was clothed, clothed with filthy clothes. Apparently that word for filthy was about the strongest word in the language to, to talk about just the worst kind of filth. Imagine somebody that's wearing clothes that have uh, been drugged through the sewer and are just as filthy and disgusting as you can get. Can you imagine wearing something like that? Can you imagine the smell? Can you imagine how, you know, icky that would be? Now, why is he wearing those filthy clothes? Well, that symbolizes their, their sin. And, and, you know, we downplay sin a lot. I don't know that we really sense how disgusting and how bad it stinks. But we need to. Because, you know, if sin's not so bad, then grace is not so great. So we really need to understand how disgustingly filthy we are. You know, in, in Ezekiel, there's a couple of passages that impress me about this. In Ezekiel 20, verse 43, there you will remember your ways and all your deeds with which you have defiled yourself, and you will loathe yourselves in your own sight for all the evil things that you have done. And you've got that same idea in Ezekiel 36, 31. Now, wow, that sure doesn't sound like anything we want to believe today. That you come to the point of loathing yourself for what you've done. I understand there's a balance to that. The Lord loves us and that gives us value in His sight. But, 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 but just feeling good about ourselves when we've done really badly is not what we ought to feel. We ought to, in our sins, feel just disgust and, 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 and really, uh, really sense how, how putrid we are and how disgusting we are. Now, we don't just stay there. We just don't we don't just stay feeling horrible about ourselves. 
we, we turn to the Lord for His grace and mercy. Now, when the prodigal son comes to God, he doesn't come waltzing or back to his father. He doesn't come waltzing in saying, Hey, I'm back, Dad. Come, I hope, hope you're happy. No. He comes saying, I'm not worthy to be your son. Could you, could you be so merciful as to make me slip? I need help. I'm sorry. I was wrong. He, we've got to humble ourselves. We've got to see our true condition. So here you've got Joshua in these horrible clothes. You know, standing before uh, the angel of the Lord, you've got Satan standing there to accuse him, and man, he's got plenty to accuse him of. This looks like a wonderful setup for Satan. He is the uh, consummate accuser. He wants to pin sin on everybody so he can claim them for himself. And, and, and the conduct of Joshua and the nation has made that an easy task. Except the Lord says to Satan... The Lord rebuke you, Satan. There's another of the Lord speaking about the Lord. The Lord rebuke you, Satan. Indeed, the Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is this not a brand plucked from the fire? God chose his people and he plucked them from the fire of captivity and gave a new life to them. God is not going to put up with Satan accusing his people. But how can he not? Look how filthy they are. They pretty much accuse themselves. Satan hardly has anything to do. Well, look what he does. He orders the filthy garments removed from him. And he has him clothed with not just clean clothes, but festive garments. Party clothes, celebration clothes. Because Jesus didn't die just to clean us up, but to transform us and to make us beautiful. And, 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 and uh, you know, we don't just go from smelling horrible to smelling neutral, but to smelling attractive, to smelling good. And even uh, Zacharias says, when they put a clean turban on his head, and they do that to boot. So that completes the picture of how God cleanses and purifies his people that keeps Satan from accusing them and, and, and really makes them be able to be righteous and right before God and therefore blessed by Him and in a moment having even access to the very courts of God. So that really deals with the issue that would keep God from being able to fulfill His promises of blessing to His people. It deals with their sin problem. We need every part of this. We really need to see our sins as they truly are. We laugh them off way too easily. And, and we, don't, we don't feel that uh, uh, just uh, a loathing for our sins that we should. And therefore, it doesn't seem like that big a deal that, that God forgives us. And he cleanses us. And, and he gives us new clothes. And, uh, you know, once we really realize where we, where we are, then the grace of God in purifying us is amazing. Thoughts and comments. Yes. Where? Seems that Satan did not anticipate forgiveness. Uh, you see, currently in the New Testament, if they had not, they would not crucify the Lord of glory. Seems that you see the confrontations of Satan and God in both of the New Testament, that Satan and his arrogance really thinks he's going to win. Really thinks he, he had one, one, one more situation. 
Yeah, well, the Lord outsmarts Satan all over the place. And uh, if, if it weren't for how bad he was, you'd feel sorry for him once in a while. Not that he's not dangerous to us, but the Lord's got his number. Yeah, Kevin. Yeah, I think the point, um, interesting point, that the concept that we have the forgiveness can sometimes make us not see the true nastiness and filthiness of sin because we're maybe concentrating on the forgiveness that we know God's, God's got there for us and we don't really see it. Good point. Yeah. Sometimes we start with forgiveness instead of starting with our need for forgiveness. And we want people to feel good, but you've got to feel the badness before you can really feel the good and understand what that means. So I think, you know, sometimes you, you, you I mean... The doctor has to break the bad news to you before he can give you the good news as to the treatment that might help. And if you don't really think you've got cancer, you're going to take the chemo? You know, why would you? But once you realize how bad the cancer is and maybe chemo will help, then you take it. You know, it's just we need to, we need to understand and be convicted of our sins and how bad that is before then God's grace is really meaningful and gracious. Good point. Other thoughts? Yes? Um, I like seeing how the Lord has made a complete transformation of this attire. Yes. And we as people many times kind of want to keep bringing it back up and the Lord is saying, what are you talking about? I don't remember it anymore. So who are you to talk about something that has and did happen, but I don't remember that, so what are you doing? Good point. God's cleansing is total and irreversible. And it also means after you've been so filthy and you get thoroughly cleansed by the grace of God, why would you ever go back to your wallowing in the mire, as he said in Second Peter 2? It doesn't make sense. When you realize how cleansed we are and what a relief that is, then we embrace that, and we love that, and we do everything we can to grow in that. But that's a very good point. Other thoughts? Well, just drawing off Terry's point, uh, how many people do we know that have come out of a sinful lifestyle who have been totally transformed and are almost unrecognizable because of their transformed life? And that's what the power of the Word of God is. Absolutely. Amen. Yes. And we should not discount that. Yes. You know, if they were, had just returned from battle, it might have been easy for them to think, hey, we must have been doing something right. God brought us out of battle. And he says, no, you're, you're a brave, what uh, the fire, and you should have gone to probably humble I hope, anyway. Yeah, it should. Six to ten. And the angel of the Lord solemnly assured Joshua, Thus says the Lord of hosts, If you will walk in my ways and keep my charge, then you shall rule my house and have charge of my courts. And I will give you the right of access among those who are standing here. Hear now, O Joshua, the high priest, you and your friends who sit before you, for they are men who are assigned. Behold, I will bring my servant with the branch. For behold, on the stone that I have set before Joshua, on a single stone with seven eyes, I will engrave its inscription, declares the Lord of hosts, and I will remove the iniquity of this land in a single day. In that day, declares the Lord of hosts, 
Every one of you will invite his neighbor to come under his vine and under his fig tree. Okay, so here are some of the blessings that flow from this cleansing. Verse 7, if you'll walk in my ways and perform my service, then you'll govern my house, have charge of my courts, and free access to the presence of God. You think about uh, Hebrews and the idea that, that we can come boldly before God's throne, that the veil has been torn into, the barrier of sin has been removed, so we have access to God and His presence, just amazing blessings. He says that Joshua is a symbol. This is a good indication that God intended for Joshua to be sort of a foreshadowing, sort of a type of the New Testament Joshua. Joshua is Hebrew. What's the New Testament name corresponding to Joshua? Jesus. Jesus. Yeah. So that really is significant. We'll see that a lot more in chapter 6. Remember that he's a symbol here. And in chapter 6, we'll talk about that some more because I'm going to bring in my servant, the branch. Jesus, Jeremiah chapter 23, chapter 33, and so forth is the branch like the new shoot that brings new life to the tree of God's people that's been cut down. And then you've got this stone. little debatable what this refers to. I take it as meaning God's people. And there's seven eyes on it. God watches over his people with complete vigilance. There's this inscription engraved on it, I will remove the iniquity of that land in one day about Hebrews, you know, once for all of the sacrifice, and therefore he takes the sin away. That's really what this whole uh, vision of the Joshua is uh, dealing with. And in that day, every one of you will invite his neighbor to sit under his vine and under his fig tree. That under his vine and fig tree is an Old Testament figure of peace and prosperity. As far as we know, it was first used in 1 Kings 4.25 to refer to the golden era under Solomon. And then it's used in Isaiah 36 and Micah 4 in prophetic texts to talk about the idea of everything being good. So when God takes away the sins in that day, then he gives everybody peace and, and blessing. That, that's the outcome of the, the changing of the clothes of Joshua, the cleansing and the forgiveness that God provides is well-being for God's people. <coughs> Thoughts and comments? Okay. I'm not prolonging the thoughts and comments section so we can get through more, but when you have them, just speak up quickly. And, uh, Larry? Just, anybody you might not go down this path, but mm-hmm. it was the angel of the Lord. I think it's just a, a special angel that the Lord has that represents him. Now, most people would say it's Jesus or something like that, but I personally prefer to just take it as an angel that has a particular identification with God. That we can debate that sometime, but that's, that's what I would say. Yes, um, God cleansed Joshua, and then he told him, walk in my ways and perform my service. Sometimes I think that we think that my job of walking in his ways and obeying him is what cleanses me. And we kind of feel like we have to sort of work our way into it. But instead, God offered something he didn't deserve, wiped out the sins, and then he said, now, obey me. You're clean. Now you can. 
Good point. Yeah, absolutely. Sometimes we may even more preach morality to people who haven't been cleansed than preach how bad off they are and how much they need the Lord for cleansing and transformation so that it can be more. Yeah, good point. Yes? I think a lot of times that these images are found in the New Testament, but in Revelation, where Jesus confers the blessings upon the church of Pergamon, those who repent, he's going to give them a new stone and he's going to write his name on them. So again, it's interesting how many times these images come up later for a greater fulfillment. And ultimately, I think it's God, when God is driving a message or his name on that stone, it's a seal of approval and permanence. Good point. Yeah, good point. I had not thought about that connection. That stone's also a bit uh, ambiguous to what it refers to, but yeah, that's, uh, that's good. There are so many types. You know, the more you see the prophetic literature and language, especially this apocalyptic stuff, which Zachariah really is, we haven't talked about that, but if you know what that means, okay, if you don't, okay. But, but man, there are so many common figures and themes and the more you see, the more fascinating it is. I mean, you know, it's kind of like you can study the Bible forever. You know, you can understand it when you read it, but then you really understand it. But then you really understand it, but then you see some things you've never seen before, and it just goes forever. It's just amazing. The more you learn, the more you realize, wow. And the more, it's not like you have to be some intellectual genius. A lot of those things are really right there. It's just there's so much to it that, that you just never really exhaust what's even fairly obvious as you keep reading and studying it. So that makes it really cool and ought to just motivate us to keep learning and keep feeding on God's Word. Yes, Mark? Uh, I really enjoyed the, every vision so far. There's been some sort of imagery of God either looking over or protecting us. And this one, you know, we have the single stone. Before, we have the wall of fire. Before that, we have the craftsman. Before that, he's going to shape the nations up. In every vision so far, we've seen every time God saying, I'm going to be here for you. I'm going to be looking over for you. I'm going to be protecting you every single time. And in different ways that we can imagine. Amen. Yeah, I agree. All right. Uh,